Good morning to each one. Greetings in our Savior's name. It is good to worship with you all this morning. This morning for the message, I want us to consider how we think. Our thoughts. How do we arrive at where we come out? Our thought process. This thing of thinking like the world. As Christians, we're not exempt. Something we deal with. This thing of thinking like the world and its, its effects on the Christian. So my burden for the messages this morning is that we would allow the Word of God to dwell in us richly. Allowing God's Word through the Holy Spirit to direct our thought process and let it shape us to be more like Jesus. Proverbs tells us, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I invite you to turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2 for the sermon text this morning. I'm going to use the first eight verses in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, theme verse that led me to this passage is verse 8. It says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So I've titled the message, Beware of Vain Deceit. I'll read the first eight verses at this time. Colossians 2. For I would that ye knew... What great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, Yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So here in Colossians, we have the Apostle Paul sharing from his heart. He talks about things that are really important for the church. These are his aims and his goals for the church. He's not concerned about the temperature in the church building or whether the benches are spaced just right. He, he talks about things that are really important to the church, for a church. These are his goals, his concerns. And in chapter 2 here, it flows from chapter 1, where he talks about his call to teach and preach the word to mature believers. Verse 29 of chapter 1 says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He says, that's what I'm working to do that you might be built up, that you might be strengthened and be brought to maturity. 
And that's what I want for us here this morning, is that we could spur each other on. Paul talks about struggling with all his energy for the church. Paul wasn't the first one to bring the gospel, or he wasn't the one to preach the gospel at Colossae or Laodicea. Somebody else had brought the gospel there and started churches there. And Apostle Paul had got a report. He had heard about them. And now he's writing a letter to them. He says he is struggling for them. Where he says, I want you to know what great conflict I have for you. Remember, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. So how was he struggling for them? Is he talking about praying for them? In verse 2, he tells us what he wants to come out of his struggle. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Here he outlines the goals of his struggles. So when we look at Paul's goals and struggle for the church, what we see here is things that are important, things that the church should be focusing on, things that the church should find important. Verse 3, we see here that Paul wanted for the church. There's three things I want to point out here. that Paul wanted for the church out of his own struggles. Actually, it's in verse 2. It's that their hearts may be encouraged. He wanted them to be knit together in love. He wanted them to reach all the riches of full understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery. So I want to look at each one of these now. So his first expressed goal here is that their hearts might be encouraged. Encouragement is important. What does it mean to encourage? When courage is a verb, it means to give support. It means to pass along a sense of confidence. And it means to give hope. This is what we are to do in the body of Christ. And there are people in the body of Christ that are gifted with the ability to encourage. They have a spiritual gift from God to encourage others. Barnabas was one of those. His name means son of encouragement. He had a heart to encourage. There's probably someone that you can think of right now who comes to your mind that is an encourager. Paul wanted his sufferings to do that for the church. And in a general sense, we are to do it for one another. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. You don't need to turn there. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as, the manner, as is the manner of some, but exhorting, or we could say encouraging one another, so much, more, so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're to be about the work of encouraging one another. In the book of Acts... We see it happening often. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. I'm going to pull out a few verses here from Acts. First one's Acts 15, 32. 
It says, Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Next one is drop down chapter 16, verse 40. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Next one is Acts 18, verse 27. It says, And when he, speaking of Paulus, desired to cross Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Also in Romans 1, verse 11 and 12, Paul says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So he not only understood the importance of bringing encouragement, but he also understood the importance of seeking encouragement from others. I need your encouragement just as much as you need mine. We all need to encourage and be encouraged. It's something that we should be doing for one another. And all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. So how do we encourage? Let's face it. Sometimes the reason we need to be encouraged is because we are discouraged. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Something that brings discouragement in my life is when I get my focus off of Christ. Then I need you as brothers, as sisters, to help me get my eyes back on Christ. Back on His Word and His promises that comes from them. That is what we need. Maybe you're like Peter. You look at the wind and the waves. And we're sinking. So we have to reach out to the Lord and get our eyes back on Him. All right, Paul's second goal for the believers in Colossae is that they might be knit together in love. In verse 2, notice the words knit together. Remember, he's using the picture of a human body here. As the body of Christ, we're giving, given that image of the human body. Our human bodies are knit together with muscles, ligaments, and tendons, as well as many other things. All these together make up the complete body. And in the body of Christ... Paul says, in all my desire and my struggle for you, I'm hoping that it would knit you together in love. Talking about basic concern for one another. People relating to one another as if we really are a family. These are my brothers in the Lord. These are my sisters in the Lord. But do we treat each other that way? 
Do we respond in a true and genuine way? You have personality conflicts. Sometimes issues rise up. Drama sometimes comes into people's lives that we don't like, but we know it happens and it separates people. It can make us feel awkward with one another. Then we start to keep our distance because who wants to be around somebody that doesn't like you? Then I look at a passage like this and realize that I'm supposed to show them love. I think, Lord, how can I do that? You know, sometimes showing love is just a simple act of obedience. Love, not because I have this warm, fuzzy feeling, but because Jesus says in his word, love them. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Why? For love covers, will cover a multitude of sins. When you love them, it covers over a multitude of sins. The third goal Paul expresses in his struggles is that the believers in Colossae, Laodicea, and the McDowell Church might reach the riches of both the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. So let's look at this idea of the full assurance of understanding. What does it mean to have the full assurance of understanding? Paul says, I want out of my struggle to come into your life a full assurance of understanding. There are three reasons I th think we have as to why people lack this assurance of understanding. Number one is ignorance. They just don't know the Word of God, and they don't know what it says about the fact that your assurance is in Him. Second one is unbelief. They know what the Word says, but they don't believe it. And the third one is deception. This is the person who knows what the Word of God says. They want to believe it, but they become convicted by the enemy that they are unworthy of it. They are unworthy of embracing God's promises because of sin. So who of us ever is worthy? None of us. Paul, in writing to Timothy, he says, Jesus Christ came to die for sinners of whom I am chief, of who I am the worst. Accept what he has done and accept the fact that it is through your faith that you are kept by God. Jude 24 and 25, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Romans 8.38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I believe this is what Paul wanted for the churches 
He wanted for them to be able to say, I am sure. It was a sign of a healthy church to be assured. To have that full assurance of understanding. Not only that, but also that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. It's Jesus. Paul wanted this because he was concerned about their understanding. He knew that their understanding and their unity was not just a matter of love, but also of growing together in God's truth. Then in verse 3, he tells us why we are to seek Jesus as the riches in this. It says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom, in Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's so much encompassed in these verses. The term here, hid, may be used for treasured up or laid up, stored away or reserved. It does not mean unknown. The secret is in Christ. And it's attainable by all who know him. Christ then is the source from which all knowledge and wisdom come from. It's not some thought that we thought of or came up with. Knowledge and wisdom come from Christ and his word. Then Paul gives his reasoning for giving these admonitions. Look at verse 4. It says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. This refers to arguments that sound reasonable. The problem is it is not true. That is why God gave us his word and his Holy Spirit. So we can know what is true. We have a promise in John 16 I want to share with you. It says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He is going to lead us in the way of all truth. Because the Spirit takes what, is, what belongs to Jesus, who is the source of all wisdom and truth, And he's going to come and take what is mine or what is Christ's and give it to you. He will lead you into all of the truth. Verse 5. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Two things I see here that Paul was pleased to see in the churches of Colossae. And that was their good order and their steadfastness of their faith in Christ. Paul must have gotten a good report. Remember, he hadn't met these people personally. So he obviously had gotten a good report on how the church at Colossae was doing. He found out they were orderly. When something is orderly, it is not chaotic. It is organized. Why is he so happy to see that they were orderly? 
Of all the things he could have said, why did he commend them for their orderliness? To the Corinthians, who were often out of order, he, te- he told them this, 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. The word confusion here can be translated disorder. In the Greek, it refers to instability and chaos. God is not a God of disorder and the confusion that comes from disorder, but he is a God of peace. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal Jesus Christ. I read the verse from John 16 where the Holy Spirit will take from what is mine and he will reveal it to you. I believe it delights the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ Jesus. He is the focal point. The second thing I see here that caused Paul to rejoice in them and their fellowship is he he was pleased to see the steadfastness of their faith in Christ. Their faith was strong. He was commending them for their strong faith. And it was unwavering. So how do you find out if your faith is strong? It is when you're under attack. You can appear to have a strong faith when things are going well. But when something comes into your life that was unexpected and scary, that is when you find out if your faith is weak or strong and stable. And these Christians were under attack from outside forces who were doing their best to bring false teaching into the church to derail them, to drive them off course. That is why Paul is delighted in the strength of their faith. And he wanted to make sure that they continued to be strong in their faith. So I ask you this morning, are you strong in your faith? Verse 7. Verse 7 explains how we walk out our relationship with Jesus. Verse 7 says, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. There's four things I want to point out here in verse 7 that we could call four keys to walking with Christ. First one is rooted. Second one, built up. Third, established in the faith. And fourthly, abounding in thanksgiving. As Christians, we walk, but we are also rooted. We talked about the soils in our Sunday school class this morning. We're also built up. The metaphors are somewhat mixed, but the message is clear. Be established and keep growing. Let's think about roots for a little bit. Roots go down into the soil and pull up the nutrients. And they also anchor. They're also anchors. They anchor a tree or a plant into the ground. And that creates stability. Roots are essential for plants to have life. In the same way, a connection with Christ is a necessity if we are to have a full spiritual life. Just as the plants exhibit signs of life depending on the health of their roots, we can 
exhibit Christ-like qualities if we draw our nourishment from him and his teachings. So why is it important that Paul is telling us to be rooted in Christ? Ephesians 4.14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. See, when you're rooted in Christ and anchored in Christ and some crazy doctrine comes along, you're not going to be pulled away because you're well-grounded in Christ. You know what is true. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Not like the tumbleweed. A tumbleweed has no roots. Not only does a tumbleweed not have roots, therefore the wind can blow it around wherever it wants to. Whichever the wind, way the wind is blowing, that's the way the tumbleweed rolls. We're to be rooted in Christ. We're to be rooted in the Word. Second thing here in verse 7 is built up. Let's look at that. We're to be built up in Him. And this built up is in the present tense. It means ongoing. It's not past tense. It's not future tense. It's present tense. It's always happening. You're to always be built up in Him. It's a constant thing that we need. Hopefully you came to church today because you want to be built up in Jesus. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. It's mutual. We're supposed to do it for each other. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. This is for when we come together. Let's do all things, or let all things be done for building up. Don't do anything that's going to tear one another down. Because we need to do that, which edifies. One more in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Actually making a conscious effort. What can I do to build people up today? When we come together on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening or a Sunday evening, think, what can I do to build? Number three, we are to be established in the faith. This is also in the present tense. So it's ongoing, it's continual. To be established means to be settled. In the faith refers to the truth of God's word. And what we believe and what we hold to be true. He says, be established in what you know to be true. Are you established in what you believe? There are a lot of things that we believe about salvation. 
And there are things that we believe about God himself. There are things that we believe about heaven and hell and judgment. And whatever can be shaken about those beliefs, those things we believe, if it can be shaken, then we could say those things are not established. Number one thing we need to be established in is our salvation and what it is to be saved. Number four is abounding with thanksgiving. Or we could say overflowing with gratitude. Again, the tense is present. It is continual. You're to be continually abounding, overflowing with thanksgiving. Do you always feel thankful? Sometimes we feel the opposite. But it's not about feelings. It's to be continual. Are you habitually thankful? Do you have a habit of being thankful? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In every circumstance, be thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes life deals with circumstances that aren't pleasant. But even in those circumstances, we, there are things that we can be thankful for. I came across a study that I thought was interesting. I want to share it with you this morning. This is not a Christian study. Two psychologists did some research on gratitude. In one study, they asked all the participants to write a few sentences each week focusing on particular topics. One group wrote about things that they were thankful for that had occurred during the week. A second group wrote about daily irritations, things that displeased them. And a third group wrote about events that had affected them with no special emphasis on whether they were positive or negative. After 10 weeks, those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic and felt better about their lives. They also exercised more and had fewer visits to the doctor than those who focused on sources of aggravation. So be thankful. Have gratitude in your hearts. It makes a difference in your emotional health. It can make a difference in your physical health. As believers, we should be some of the most thankful people in the world. And that's something I could do better in. I'm not always as thankful as I should be. So what are some benefits of being, being thankful or benefits of thankfulness? Being thankful and expressing thanks. One, one that I thought of is when we do that, it keeps our hearts in a right relationship with the giver of all good gifts. The Bible tells us that every good and every perfect gift is from above. Secondly, it reminds us how much we actually do have. And thirdly, it saves us from harmful emotions and attitudes that rob us from the peace of God. Like dissatisfaction. You're dissatisfied. And later down the road, bitterness may set in. 
because I don't have. Instead of being thankful for what I do have, I sit and focus on what I don't have. And that leaves a poor Christian testimony. We should be thankful because we have so much to be thankful for. Another aspect of thankfulness is the expression of praise. Psalm 100, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. That's what should be coming out of our lives. That is what others who don't know the Lord should be seeing in each of us. Do they see in you a spirit of thankfulness? Verse 8. Colossians 2, 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So here Paul makes us aware of something that is important for us to be aware of. And that is that even as Christians, we can be taken captive. We are not impervious to those things. In chapter 3, Paul addresses some things in the church in Colossae that they were potentially being captivated by. The lesson is for us. In the things we are facing today, that we are not being taken captive by them. You know, someone that doesn't believe in God thinks naturally, and the Bible refers to him as the natural man. The Bible tells us that the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. So you have a natural and a spiritual. You can consider both possibilities. So what is it that is taking Christians captive today? And one thing is worldly human thinking. Thinking like the world. Thoughts like, you can't love others until you learn to love yourself. Is that biblical? No, that is not biblical. Another one is couples living together before marriage to see if you're compatible. That is biblically forbidden. The world has it messed up because they have been dragged away. They have been taken captive by worldly thinking. Homosexuality is looked at as normal and okay, but in the end, they are hollow and empty. They are basically predicated on the principles of the world rather than the revelation of the Word. Our view needs to come from the Word, not the world. The false teachings among the Colossians were marked by an emphasis on philosophy and empty deceit. It was according to the tradition of men. So this warning should be applied in different areas of our lives. In our spiritual life, we must be careful about the teachings we take to heart. We must compare everything against the Bible, the Word of God, to verify the veracity of that which is being taught. Don't just take my word for it, but compare to Scripture for yourself. So in closing, if you want to change this nation, 
If you want to change the world, tell people about Jesus and live your life in a way that is worthy of him. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. May the Lord bless each one.